0: This is your daily real estate syndication show, and I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today is a highlight show that's packed with value from different guests around a specific topic. Don't forget to like and subscribe, but also go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up to start investing in real estate today. I hope you enjoy the show. Our guest is Dan Kennedy. Thanks for being on the show, Dan. Whitney, thank you for having me. Big fan. Thank you. Thank you, Dan has been actively investing in real estate since 2011, focusing on single-family homes and attractive neighborhoods, requiring improvements to optimize rents and long-term value in three separate markets across California and Texas. Is an accredited limited partner in a $34 million student housing development project in downtown Los Angeles, recently retired from a 12-year professional soccer career where he most recently played for the LA Galaxy. He is passionate about educating all professional athletes on real estate investing and the tremendous benefits of establishing a strong real estate portfolio leading into life after an athletic career. But Dan, you're, you're now in the syndication business as well, isn't that correct? Yeah,
1: and that's, I mean, the, thank you for the little tidbit in history to reflect on, make me <laughs> 40th birthday is right around the corner, so you're making me feel it. Yeah, really, I just, Whitney, I started off knowing that I wanted to create passive income And the one certainty was that as a professional athlete, you just never know when your career is going to end. And, you know, for certain, it's not going to be long. So my whole goal when I started to make a buck was to purchase cash flowing homes. And that opportunity was huge in 2011. And... As you experience and you grow as an individual, my mind has shifted and changed. And there's a, there's a real reason why I'm no longer investing in single-family homes and why I'm investing in commercial real estate. And it's just because you have the ability to achieve scale. You can purchase higher quality assets that have a better return profile and a more consistent expense annualized basis, a more consistent expense level that helps you understand what your return actually is going to be. So it was fortunate timing in 2011. I was buying a lot of things at discount. Didn't mean I was any good at what I did. It was just a a market opportunity. And now Matt Seamus and I have always started Driven Capital Partners a few years ago and we're syndicating and raising capital and putting deals together.
0: Awesome. I was just telling, telling you, we were talking about this before we started recording, just how uh, you know we've had a few professional athletes on, and I think, just think it's something, whether it's professional athlete, whether it's military, it's like that drive. And maybe Matt even talked about that, which uh, just so the listener knows, Matt Seamus, his, his partner was show number WS536, and it wasn't too long before this show was airing. So I would encourage you to go back and listen to that as well. But just the driven part of Driven Capital Partners, that's interesting. Our wives
1: are best friends. Matt and I's wives are best friends. And Matt and my wife, they grew up together in Stockton. So we bought a lot of homes in Stockton when it was so depressed. And we were on vacation. Matt and I have been working on Driven Capital Partners for a handful of years. We were both in the same point in life where we were ready. I knew I was retiring from soccer. I was finishing up my MBA at USC. And he was ready to exit Facebook. And we were like, well, we got to come up with a name. What's the name going to be? And there's one common denominator to both of us is, is we have the drive, and so we're willing to hustle and work hard, and that's what we enjoy doing. So it's helped us. It's helped us create a little bit of a portfolio to date. But we're definitely excited about where we're going.
0: Yeah, tell me a little about your all's roles there and what that looks like. I know a lot of people that are listening are starting a partnership, or maybe they've started one, and you know, and that's always a question I get often. Well, what do you do, and what's your partner do, and you know, what does that look like?
1: The key to whatever success we've had to date is, is how we're able to work together. And this is one thing we've identified just early on in our friendship was like, we're two very different people. We think differently and the skill sets that we bring to the table are complementary to one another. And so what it's turned out to be is Matt was an investment banker directly out of undergrad. He's got a really strong financial acumen. I went to business school, picked up my finance and business school really and I've sharpened the pencil and gotten more comfortable in my underwriting, but Matt leads our underwriting and our acquisitions and he from we will both identify assets through our network of friends in the industry and in the end Matt's the one that's got to take the reins and really dig into the analysis of how the asset's going to perform and on the back end once the property's acquired that's when I take Ownership of it, and do all of the asset management, investor reporting, take care of the properties and the property managers, and drive the strategy behind what we're trying to achieve with the business plans that we've set out. And then we both go out and raise money. It's funny because every single deal we set out, we're in contract on on a deal in, in Boise right now, we're raising money for. And you never really know where the capital stack's going to end up, and you never really know who's coming in on the deal. And that's one of these things that's. It's exciting and exhilarating about what we do is every property, every asset's its own investment and every deal presents its own unique opportunities to get out in front of people. And end of the day, we've both done a decent job of striking this quarter, raising capital. And that's, I mean, it's key in this industry right now.
0: No doubt about it. You got to have the capital or you definitely do not have a deal.
1: Right. Well, that's how we started. We started saying, okay, well, we're going to, our first deal, we're going to go out and we're going to buy. And like, if it's just Matt and Dan buying it, we're okay with that. (laughs) We're going to share it with people. We're going to try to raise some money. But we felt like, okay, we'll backstop this. And in fact, that's kind of where we've gone. It's like, okay, we know we can backstop this a certain amount. So if we can go out and we'd prefer to raise 90% of the equity needed, but if we have to raise 60, that's okay.
0: What does your all schedule look like? That may be an odd question, but sometimes I get, Whitney, you know, how do you, how do you maintain a schedule and, you know, you and your partner and what does that look like? And how do you, you know, are you off in the afternoons at a certain time or, or do you get to spend any time with the family just quickly? What does that look like for you all?
1: Matt and I, Matt's in San Jose, I'm in Long Beach, so we're not down the street from each other. But what that means is our days starting in from a business perspective on the phone with one another. And It's good. It's a good way to kind of flush out your thinking for the day and and set some expectations. My days typically start about five and we both have young kids. So it's about managing all of that. And I try to get some think time in in the morning, help out with breakfast around the house with the kiddos, have a little bit of a workout and then by eight o'clock, really off and running. And typically I'm just planning on eight to 430 Not leaving my desk unless I'm going to meet with investors or see a property, whether it's a property we want to buy or we manage. And then I try to check back in with the family around 5 just because the the nature of our kids right now is about 7 o'clock. They're heading to bed anyway. So, and then it's after they're down, it's back and just kind of check any oversight and if any creative work needs to get done. That's the time to do it, and so when you think about like we do everything, Matt and I, we outsource some key roles, but for the most part, like right now, I'm building a deck on some apartments in Paso Robles, California. So you just kind of prioritize. Well, if we're working on some refinancing, then the majority of that work needs to happen in banking hours, right? So just shifting your schedule to execute what the tasks that you have in front of you. And right now we're in the bootstrap and growth stage of building a a big business, big, not in the amount of people that we want to work for us, but in the scale of real estate we want to own. It just takes a little bit of work and we're okay with that. We're comfortable with that.
0: I wanted to briefly mention or back that, you know, one thing you mentioned about multifamily instead of single family or switching to that from single family, you said more consistent expense, expenses. And I haven't heard many people say that, but I would agree completely. But I just thought that was interesting. Well, the only reason why I have
1: that perspective is because I've experienced it. And I just sold a house in Stockton that I purchased in 2011 and I sold it a month ago. Okay, and it was like purchase one hundred thousand dollars, sell it for two hundred fifty. Unbelievable investment. You can't find that opportunity in the marketplace today. And that deal worked all day long because mortgage, tax, and insurance on it was like six hundred bucks a month. And I just knew we could rent it for nine hundred dollars. Well, that's all good until you have people move out. And when people move out, it's like, well, uh, the fence, uh, the this, that, the other. You don't, as a single family homeowner, you don't often. Forwardly project your expenses. And so it can dig into the returns. Another property, beautiful home in Plano. Unbelievable, like 3,000 square foot single family, single story home, 12 foot ceilings, really nice rental property. And with how that town's growing, you know, you have executives moving there that don't want to buy right away. They have to adjust the town. And it was right next to the main hospital, the tech hub in Plano, fantastic location. And we had a sewer line break and sewer main breaks. And you're like, oh, okay, insurance will cover this. No, it's below slab. It's outside of the shell of the home. $18,000 later, I'm like, man, this property cash flows 1200 bucks a month. $18,000 later, and you're now scratching your head going, man, that just wiped out a year and a half of return. So insurance policies and commercial real estate are stronger in stance than they are in residential. We purchased triple net lease deals where the the expenses are all on the tenants. And, and that's that's perfect. Perfect. And then, then in, in an apartment game, you can go and little tricks to maybe decrease some expenses and offload those to the tenants. And often people are purchasing thinking where they can take rents. Well, any trouble we've ever been in is largely because of the expenses.
0: Our guest is Charles Dobbins. Thanks for being on the show, Charles. Thank you, Whitney. Thanks for having me. Would you give us a little, you know, update of of who you are, just for this, the listeners that haven't heard of you before, and your focus? And then I want to jump into uh, just especially with your background, your experience level, you know, some of the upcoming trends that you see happening in the multifamily business, just with everything that's happening.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Listen, I, thanks for having me, Whitney. I am the what I call my, the, the multifamily attorney dot com, and uh, you know that'll get you to my my website. But one of the things when I was starting off in multifamily and and doing everything wrong, I realized that there's nobody there looking over your shoulder. You can hire a coach. And I did. And I hired attorneys and they all, they were great attorneys, but but they could close title, they could draft contracts, but they couldn't tell you if the deal was a good one. And so, you know, that's when I realized that, you know, there needs to be a, a someone in the marketplace that can really protect the students in a way that the same way a an attorney is your zealous advocate through the through the legal system. Somebody who can look over your shoulder and make sure you're doing everything correctly. And that's that's when I started the owner forum, and that was almost ten years ago. Right now, Whitney, and it is amazing that you know how long it's been, but it's been absolute, an absolute blast. I love it. My owner forum is made up of, of students. Who have become friends of mine that's what happens in our group and i make sure that they're protected i want to make sure they're doing everything correctly and, and i do not and this is something that, that is key i do not partner with my students i know there are a lot of these gurus out there that, that take a cut of, of the action i can't do that and still really maintain my law license because if i did you know and part of my compensation is derived by you doing a deal and it's a bad deal Right. You know, I, I could lose my license and I, I'm not, uh, work too hard for that. So better off just making sure you're protected. That's my, that's my job as an attorney. So when did
0: you get into real estate versus when you became an attorney? I couldn't remember.
2: Oh, well, okay. So I actually started an insurance company many years ago and did that for many years. And then, and then said, you know, if I don't get out of the insurance business, I'm going to be in an early grave, so I quit the insurance business and started buying apartments. That was probably about 2005. And then from that point on we, you know, bought good properties, we bought bad properties, we survived the crash, we didn't survive the crash. I mean, we we've been through so many different transactions. I say we my wife and my wife and myself. And so it was after the crash when I had a lot of friends in this business and you know, they came to me and said, "Hey, can you represent me? The bank's looking to take my property. Can you anything you can do?" And and you know, I I, of course I said yes. And and I said, by that stage, being an attorney in that in that situation, it's pretty reactionary. I mean, it, it's there's nothing you can do. Uh, you can't be proactive. Everything's already been done. You're just holding the guy's hand through the foreclosure process. This is back in two thousand and eight, two thousand nine, when things were really bad. And so what I realized was that. I looked at some of these deals and I asked the asked the investor, I said, why'd you buy this property? Oh, it was a great deal. You know, this guy said it was, I took this guy's class and he said, you know, that this is uh, exactly what you're looking for. And then I came to the realization that these are terrible deals. The guy, not only is he going to lose it, but he should never have bought it in the first place. And I said, they need, these investors need help at the beginning to make sure they don't get themselves into a bad deal. And that's kind of where we went how the Multifamily Investing Academy started, how I really, I, I stopped practicing law. And that's what I tell all my students. I'm a lawyer. I'm not your lawyer. You will hire a lawyer because my template's not good in all 50 states. My purchase and sale contract is not good in all 50 states. You're going to have local counsel. I will work with that local counsel and make sure everything goes right. But But you, I can't represent you as your attorney. I'm only licensed in Massachusetts. So that's how the whole process got started.
0: Awesome. No, I I think it's a, a very interesting or unique dynamic that you have, you know, that background in addition to the real estate just a knowledge and, and ability as well. I, I love that dynamic. But, you know, with that experience that you've had over many years now and, and many students and, and many deals, you know, let's jump into just the trends and upcoming trends and things that you see happening But maybe you can even highlight a little bit on through the pandemic and, and what you've seen happen and how you've seen that affect even students or your properties both. Okay,
2: so if we talk about the pandemic, it's going to be a discussion in in the micro world of, of multifamily. Because I'll tell you right now, the fundamentals of the multifamily business are so strong and they're not getting any weaker. And a lot of that has to do with with the demographic shifts that are going on in our country and nothing says this story better than Chris Porter and John Cole's book, big shifts ahead. And I did a whole webinar on, the, on this particular book. And it's a lot of fun. If you, if you're looking for it, send me an email or go on my website. I think my, my assistants got kind of posted there somehow, but I went through that entire book with a multi-family bent or slant as I went through it. The things that are going on right now in, uh, in this country are so positive for multifamily. The kids that were born in the 1990s, 73% of them will only rent homes. They will never own, 73%. That's what we're looking at. That's one of the, the shifts that we're seeing. And because of those shifts, that is just gonna make our business so incredibly strong. It also talks about the shifts of where people are moving to. And you know, they have a great slide that I talked about on, on Dan Hanford's uh, program the other day, where it, it's, you know, the south grows while the north slows. And that's people are moving to the south. I know, believe me, I got about five more years of this place and I am done. And I think five years is going to be a stretch. I can't wait to get, get down south and where I'm warm all the time. I'm so tired of being cold.